Bob McCown, it's uh, John Shannon. Ho, ho, ho. Happy holidays to everybody. Hope you're getting your Christmas shopping uh, done. What do we got today, John? Happy holidays, Bob. Yeah, we're going to talk to coaches, uh, guys that we've touched in the last year uh, that uh, have jobs, are getting jobs, won awards. So we have Bruce Boudreau before he got the job in Vancouver, Nick Norse, the coach of the Raptors, and NHL coach of the year, Rod Brindamore. Well, hopefully we learned something from each one of them and maybe got one of them a job. <laughs> well, at least one of them, right? Well, yeah, we assume the other two will keep their jobs for some extended period of time. But then again, you never know with this show. Uh, so Brindamore, Nurse, Boudreaux, this time on the Best of the Bob McCowan podcast. McCowan and Shannon uh, back with you. And uh, Bruce Boudreaux uh, joins us. Uh, we were chatting before uh, the show began and Gabby was bitching and complaining about all the work he's got. <laughs> it, How we turn that around so fast. Well, well, the key thing uh, is two and a half hour make... drive here. I got to go. Then I got to go get lunch. Then I got to go see my kid. Then I got to do the laundry, uh, you know, all that nonsense. But I, just said, I, I said it lovingly. This doesn't pay like an NHL coach, Bruce. No, it certainly doesn't. So anytime anybody wants to give me an NHL job, I would gladly quit the other three. Well, let's get to that. You talk to anybody? Uh, no, no. no. I, do I watch uh, everything that's going on and read all the news clips? Absolutely. Um, do I try to stay busy? Yeah. So, but uh, uh, I definitely know what's going on in the NHL with all the teams, but uh, no one's called. Um, are we in a situation, in your opinion, where there are, you know, are there teams that you have an eye on right now that, I mean, obviously there are some disappointments out there, Vancouver, Montreal among them, you know, Arizona's expectations were low, but um, do you pay special attention? Yeah, I think I do. I mean, just in case, you know, I mean, if it ever happened, it's, I think it's important to watch uh, Vancouver right now and, because uh, if anybody ever started talking to you, you'd have to have a little bit of an idea uh, right. of what's going on and what you think is is missing and stuff. I mean, um, I watch Montreal, but I don't think they would go uh, to anybody that didn't know how to speak French. So, I mean, uh, I really find that as a Toronto boy uh, uh, would be something that wouldn't happen. But uh, there's other teams that sometimes, you know, I mean, they go into spells. I thought... Last week, for example, that if Dallas had lost a few more in a row, that they would be crying like crazy, but they seem to have turned it around. Um, and and every week somebody's different. Like, I mean, mm -hmm. I followed Chicago quite extensively there for a while, um, but uh, obviously that situation's rectified itself. So, I mean, I mean, I hate guys losing their job, but I certainly would like to have one. So, the, the, the interesting thing, Bruce, is is you you've been on the other side where you've seen your team, you know, um, point downwards. How do you, how do you deal with your players when things are not going well? Uh, I mean, well, how do you communicate with them? I mean, there's a lot of individual meetings. I remember um, when I was in Anaheim, we had uh, the year before we had went to the conference championship and uh, uh, we lost out in seven to Chicago, but we started the next season one, seven and two. And uh, we got shut out, I think, in those first 10 games, six times. And I mean, um, which is definitely not a, usually what happens to a team that I'm coaching. But uh, we had a lot of individual meetings. 
a lot of one-on-ones were all about being staying positive and I'd be showing them analytic stuff of that were close you know I mean uh, even six years ago it wasn't called analytics it was just called statistics um, but I mean we would show like I mean we're right there and to stay the course and eventually we turned it around and <clears throat> ended up uh, winning the division um, but uh, you know I mean uh, those are the things you have to do. You have to stay positive. I mean, it's like you, when you're winning a lot of games, you can really bring the hammer down to make sure they don't get too high. But when you're losing, you have to, you know, give them the pats on the backs and, and look at all the positive points. I think that the, that take place and, and to get them out of that. So the reality is you're actually nicer when you're losing than you are when you're not. A hundred percent. You know, I mean, uh, uh, when you're, when you're winning, you're trying everything to do to, uh, uh, they're, they're getting a little cocky and they think they're, they're better than they are. So you've got to knock them down a peg and tell them that, listen, we haven't won anything yet. I mean, this is the way we have to do it. But when you're losing, if you keep pounding on the, the negative, um, uh, message, then, I mean, it's already, they're, they're slumping, down and they would be completely in the dumpster uh, if you did that you're more inclined to have individual meetings with players when the team is not playing well um yes i mean yes i mean uh, no i sorry that that was an instance where um you know bob murray was traveling with us all the time so you're waiting for us the the shoe to drop but i mean uh, i have a lot just as many uh um meetings when you're going well uh, to try to keep them motivated to continue that, that if you know what I mean, like, I mean, uh, like I previously said, Bob, when you're going well, you know, you sort of tend to take practice off a little bit, you don't work as hard, um, you, you know, things are going well, going so easy for you, and, and then eventually, once it starts to go downhill, you, it's like a runaway train, you can't stop it, so I mean, when, when a guy is going really well, I really, show that hey listen you're going good but here's your faults i mean we love what you're doing and we want you to continue what you're doing but you got to correct these things or it'll or it will go downhill in a while what kinds of things are you noticing about the game today um is it just my perception or are teams less less inclined to play offensive fire wagon hockey today than than they have been yeah, it's sort of frustrating, and I don't even want to call it fire wagon because then they they say you're not playing uh, defensively as well. But I mean, I mean the forecheck, if you've got the opportunity to forecheck, is is one thing. But if not, then everybody just drops back into the neutral zone, and uh, I don't like that kind of hockey. Uh, personally, I don't see why you can't be very good offensively and very good defensively at the same time. But I call it pressure defense, and in other words, get in their face but be supportive and, and don't get, uh, don't get outnumbered anywhere and, and don't allow odd man rushes. And if you do that, you're going to have just as much success, but I agree. Like, I mean, I'll sit there and watch and the team will jump, dump it in and they won't uh, say they go for a change. Then they all just sit in the neutral zone in the one, three, one and wait for the other team to come in and dump it in. And they won't forecheck because they're ready to go into a one, three, one, um, in the neutral zone. And, and so I think that becomes fairly boring hockey. How, how much? How much how, oh, sorry, John, go ahead. Well, oh, uh, well finish, Bob. You, you had, you're I was going to say, can you coach against that? 
Can you come um, up with a strategy that beats the one three one, where a team is is laying back and just waiting for you? I think you can um, have in the past. I mean, uh, we've beaten the, the one three ones, and uh, it's it, the biggest thing uh, when you have a one three one and you have a goaltender that can handle the puck. I mean, we used to count all the time how many goalie touches there were in a period, mm -hmm. and we wanted to keep it down to three or less. If you could do that then that means your, your dump-ins are into the right areas or off the glass, or even like, I would tell them to, to, if you get the opportunity to just dump it hard right at the goalie, because he can't control it low if it's like a foot off the, off the, off the net on each side. But the ones when you just throw it around the boards and they get it and they give it to the D and they come out, those are, those are the things that really abandons a forecheck. And I really was a heavy forechecking guy and, I had only one rule. I, I wanted the players to, you know, they, a lot of it is now scoring off the rush. And I'd say, great. I said, but when the scoring off the rush or is when you turn pucks over at the blue line more than you get it behind the defense, then it becomes a problem. Then I have to deal with it. But you do what you want to do, but we want to make sure that the pucks get behind the defense. How much how much of your philosophy changes with the personnel? Uh, and the, the, reason, the reason I ask that is that, you know, you, you seem to have some level of structure, but you know, that roster you had in Washington was much different than the one you had in Anaheim and different than you had in Minnesota. Well, you know what? And that's a great question, John. And I thought it would, I would have to change everything because in, we were lucky in Washington, we were big and, and fast in Anaheim. We were big and fast. You know, you take Perry Getzloff and uh, uh, Penner on the first line or Maroon. I mean, that's a big line, you know, and, but in Minnesota, there was just nothing but little Smurfs. And I started out thinking, um, okay, we're going to have to change everything because we don't have the, the dominating board game that we're going to have. But I found out that if you've got speed, you can pressure the defense and you don't have to kill them. But if you pressure the defense, they will make mistakes on their own. And so we continued that. And I think the first year we had 106 points and the second year we had 101 points. And I mean, so it worked, it worked in both, both situations. So, I mean, uh, the big thing when I say pressure is not giving anybody time and space to make a play because players will panic no matter. Uh, and I've, I've done it on video hundreds of times where you don't have to hit the guy hard when you dump it in but if you just pressure him he will make a mistake how difficult is it you know you've, you've talked about eagerness to get back in how difficult is it um for instance in the last couple of summers how, how difficult has it been for you to get face time with with teams and owners oh i i haven't been able to get uh, anything uh, any face time i mean i would love before people make decisions. I mean, I did FaceTime, uh, I had an interview with Buffalo, um, I had an interview with Toronto. Those were the two teams. Um, Toronto was, was an assistant coach, right? Yes. And um, I, I thought both times, like, I mean, I was, I was talking pretty intelligently, but I think in both situations, they were looking for something else even before they talked to me. And because I got the feeling that, they weren't interested in anything I had to say. And you can, you can see that like from a visual, like I'm mm -hmm. looking at you, how the body language goes, how the questions uh, go. Like, I mean, one of the people that were interviewing me, he didn't lift his head up. 
the whole time. Like, I mean, he just said, he, like he had a list of questions and he wasn't looking at me in the eye. Even if it was Zoom, you got to sort of look at the guy in the eye and see what he's all about, see what kind of passion he talks with and intelligence at the same time, I would think. Well, I'm intrigued by that. Um, if you're in that situation and you sense that there is um, not a genuine level of interest, post facto, don't you sit down and say, all right, what, what is it that scares them off about Bruce Boudreaux? Um, well, uh, have you thought about but, it? Well, I think in, in a couple of things in Toronto, I mean, um, the interview, I think uh, uh, one that uh, my past, as far as success, I think intimidated Sheldon a little bit. Um, and uh, uh, I mean, there was a lot of talk shows going, why would you hire him? You know, he's just there to, he'll take your job if you, uh, if you, if you screw up and because he's ready to go. And I, you know, I tried to make him well aware that I'm the most loyal little puppy dog in the world. And that's the last thing I would want to do. Um, in Buffalo, a, it was different that I could just tell, like when he phoned me back, when um, uh, the GM Craig? phoned me back, yeah, yeah. When he phoned me back, he said, you know what, we, we could have and should have brought you in for maybe a second and third interview, but we already knew what we were going to do. So I went, well, you know, and you can tell by the, the level of uh, passion that they ask questions and the kind of questions they have. Because um, in both of them, I kept saying, well, man, I was waiting for the end to, to go after this or to go after that. And they never brought it up. And I should have brought it a mistake by me was I should have brought it up. And because I'm not really um, experienced in interviews, quite frankly, I mean, I interviewed for um, maybe five jobs in my life. And I got them like in the same day. So it was like, it was pretty easy. I mean, but these were uh, where there was other, where they probably weren't looking for me. And uh, so they were more difficult and I probably didn't do as good a job on the interview as I would have liked to. The assistant coaches thing in Toronto, you know, I mean, I don't view you as an assistant coach. Me neither. I view, I view you as a head coach, but I, I, is, is Toronto different? Well, it was Toronto. That was the only thing. If it was anywhere else, I wouldn't even have considered it. And but the more I thought about it, the more I thought about being home and my mom's almost 90, you know, and uh, uh, it would be closer to, to family and friends that I thought it would be intriguing. And uh, uh, and also the fact that they had uh, I, I, the perception of me was they had a really good team and that they could go somewhere. And uh, the chance of winning a Stanley Cup, I think, is every hockey guy's dream. And it's one of the few things that I haven't uh, uh, haven't attained. So th that's that was the beauty of the whole thing. But everybody like yourselves um, said the same thing, that they didn't view me as an assistant and that I should wait and wait for a head coaching job. But, you know, if it was if it was, say, Arizona or something, I wouldn't even have thought about it. But um, because I was asked at one point about uh, not uh, like seven years ago uh, about being an assistant in Florida. And I just said, no, I'm not interested. Well, I'll tell you, I got to be honest with you, Gabby, you and I have known each other a lot of, a lot of years. Uh, I, if I was the head coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs, I don't want you as an assistant. <laughs> I, I wouldn't either. No. And I mean, you know, I, you know, I say that with full respect. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And that's why I, 
I kept wondering, why are they even asking me? Why are they even asking me? Because if I was a young head coach and Sheldon was a young head coach, why would I want Bruce Boudreaux to be my assistant? First of all, he's really popular with the media. He's popular in the city and he's got a pretty good track record. Why would I want that guy leaning over me? And, um, uh, you know, because if the first minute we go wrong, the Toronto media is going to jump all over that. So I I can understand that. You're the sword of Damocles. If you're the assistant coach, especially in a place Mm -hmm. like Toronto, you know, like, you know, and it's exactly as you said, first sign of any trouble, the story's going to come up. Well, there's the heir apparent sitting right there or standing right there beside the the now head coach. Yeah. And I think you would feel exactly the same way if you were, you know, head coach somewhere again. I, I agree. And, and I understood Sheldon's uh, position. That's why I told him, I said, you'd never have a worry about me. I mean, other, from me trying to undermine you to take your job. Um, I, it's happened the other way to me. And I know what an assistant should be. And I would have done it. But I mean, it would have been difficult. I'll be honest. And uh, I, I think he made the right choice not to hire me. You know, the, 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 we were talking about it yesterday on the show with uh, uh, a couple of our our, our partners, uh, Darren Pang and, and Brian Lawton, a guy you work with, mm-hmm. is the, the, be- the best thing the best thing that's happening for a guy like you right now is Daryl Sutter's success. Yeah, no, I love it. And uh, I look at Daryl Sutter, Sutter doing well and experience and Lindy Ruff doing well. I mean, even um, Rick Bonus wasn't doing well, but it seems to fit the problem. And I think you can't beat experience when you have a pretty good team that is, uh, should be better than they are. And, uh, um, just because we don't move around the ice fast as fast as we used to, I still think we all got the intelligence and know what we're, we're going to do. How do you deal? How do you deal with 20 year olds versus 35 year olds? Um, I just think it's, uh, the 20 year olds now they want to know everything uh, the whys. All, everything is about the whys. Okay, you're not playing as much. Why? Uh, you're not, uh, um, I'm not on the power play. How come I'm not on the power play? And you have to show the video and everything else a lot more. With the older guys, to me, I mean, they understand they've been through the league for a lot of years. And you sit down and you just talk to them from the heart. And I think they they understand when you t- talk to them from the heart. I mean, they don't like it. When I put Miko Koivu as the fourth line center, he didn't like it, but I, I sat down and I said, Meek, you know, you've just come off two bad knee injuries. You're not as fast as you used to be. You're still going to be put in every situation that I need because I trust you for defensive face-offs, for um, a, a last minute of play, uh, need you at the end of a period. So your minutes aren't going to go down to seven or eight. They're going to still stay at 14. And, and I did, I kept them at 14, but I mean, it's tough, but you got to look at them right in the eye and tell them why, because they've been, they've been uh, stars for so long. I want to talk about uh, the national hockey league in general, what you've observed and um, get your observations on that. Bruce Boudreaux is uh, with us. We'll uh, continue after these messages. It's McCowan, it's uh, Shannon, it's the Bob McCowan podcast uh, with you the and with you today and with us today is the head coach of the Toronto Raptors and the head coach of the Canadian national basketball team. Nick Nurse is uh, with us. First of all, um, in the last few weeks, you've got your contract extended with uh, Canada basketball. Congratulations on that. I assume you're uh, you're pleased 
Yeah, thank you. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that um, um, it's been a rocky road for a lot of people and rocky for getting that team organized maybe the way I want wanted to or the way we wanted to. Um, so I just I wanted to, I wanted to get another crack at it, and I said it's only going to be if we're going all the way through the next cycle, which is twenty twenty four Paris, and um, have kind of taken that approach with the whole with the whole organization, including the players. That if we're gonna if we're gonna do this, we gotta we gotta commit here for three years, and I'm looking forward to that. Nick, How what did you learn out of Victoria? Yeah. I learned a lot. Learned a lot. I think that. Um, you know, we got beat in a in a in a game, a close, tough game. Ball bounced really the wrong way, big time on us twice, right? I don't know if you guys saw it or not, but yep, I am. Sadoransky banks in that 18, 19 footer, totally guarded straight on, and and then we had one go in and out on a wide open twelve footer. Um, but but in saying that, I believe that you know the Czechs deserve to win. Um, they were big. Uh, they were experienced. They've been together forever. And just as an example, and, and this is this is uh, certainly not an excuse. This is why I say that they, they deserve to win. They had nine of 10 guys back from their 2019 uh, fifth place finish in the World Cup. I mean, fifth in the world ahead of the U.S., by the way, who got yeah. sixth. And uh, they brought nine of those 10 guys back. And I think we had one guy back from 2019. And that continuity, chemistry, experience probably caught up to us, to be honest. Well, you had enough talent. I think you, you acknowledge that or, or would agree with that um, uh, to succeed. How much of it was just what you talked about? Lack of experience. I mean, playing experience as a pro, but maybe more importantly, coach, not much time together. Yeah, we, we had a tough, tough time together, right? I think, again couple other things if we're gonna you know kind of flesh it out is you know they had tremendous size they had three you know near seven footers that have been playing a long time in the euro league dwight powell was playing great um we didn't have a lot of other size and he obviously he got in foul trouble so we ended up playing trey lyles who did a great job and and kind of small you know one of our fears going into the game is we had to protect dwight and and we tried to the best we could but end up getting in foul trouble uh, late in the game. Um, and you're right, we didn't have the greatest prep. And, it, and it's it's not like we didn't want to have great prep, right? It was it was tough protocols. There was yeah. – we weren't allowed any any friendlies to get ready for it. Those teams were all playing in Europe and well before where they played us in, in several games. And, uh, and uh, you know, geez, even when we got to that first game against Greece, it was like – you know, they came out and kind of blew our doors off at the start like a well-oiled machine, and we had to, like, switch everything we were doing at half to kind of figure out a way to get into the game and, and eventually overtake that game. Um, but, you know, just didn't know who I, I didn't know who our team was at all. You know, I, I had no identity. I didn't know roles. I didn't know subbing patterns. I did – you know, we just didn't know who we were, and those games were live and for real. Um, so we learned a lot of stuff. To go back to your original question, we learned a lot, yeah. So does that mean that, I mean, you've committed, do you believe that the players, we have yeah. so many great players in the NBA now that are Canadian, do you yep. believe they've committed? Yeah, so so here's what here's what we did. I mean, I, that, that didn't sit very good with me coming out of Victoria. And 
you guys, we've talked enough over the years. I, I'm a usually I can get over and move on <laughs> pretty quickly. And, and in the NBA, you kind of have to, right? That one didn't sit with me very good. I've, I've been still kind of mulling that one over. It hurt me not to get that one done. Um, got to work on immediately on, on the plan forward again. Like, you know, I just, I just told them, you know, I mean, I think we're happy with the steps forward we took. I think, I think we got a lot more guys than we normally got to play under difficult circumstances. Um, some of the things we just talked about, I don't need to go over again, but got to work right away um, and started calling the players and telling them here's where I'm at. And, and a lot of things helped here, like the experience there, the Olympics following, you you know, I was getting a lot of communication texts and calls from the players while games were going on mm. in the Olympics about France and Australia. And, you know, and I was telling them, you know, what do you see there? And I, and I you know, I'm saying this is what we've got to do. We've got to get a group of guys. It may not be the best, you know, on paper or whatever, but, but we, we need a group that's committed and wants to play and is going to play and stay together. So I started making the rounds with some of that. And I said, listen, I'm, I'm getting ready to come back, but I'm only coming back. And if it's a three-year deal and, um, and I need you guys to commit to three years and, and play each summer. And so we can, we can get out and play some friendlies and we can get out and get to know each other and, and get something done. And um, they were the guys, you know, guys that were there were in and some other guys that were there. So anyway, we, we ended up deciding to use Vegas. You know, it's kind of a um, convention, basketball convention out there. Not only is it summer league, but everybody's out there. So we decided to use Vegas as a kind of a two night approach. The first night was we invited uh, 15 um, players that we thought would make up the core for this team for, for the next three um, 11 of them ended up getting on a plane and coming to Vegas and sitting down and having a dinner with us. And, and we, we basically just wanted to lay it all out. We laid out, here's the schedule. <laughs> here's, here's the commitment, the exact dates. We're going to call you to camp for the next three summers. Uh, here's the NBA schedule. Here's free agency. Here's the draft. Here's all this stuff and, and take a look at it. And, um, and that's the commitment we're asking for. Um, so I think it was a good start. We had 11 there. The, the vibe was super positive as well. Um, I, am, I am like uh, days away from kind of getting that on paper and getting it out to them and making sure. I mean, it's one thing to be sitting there and saying, yeah, I'm in and all that kind of stuff. But we need to. Yeah, make, sure. I, I don't want your decision now. I want you to go away and think about it, digest it, talk to a family, your friend, everybody you need to talk to before you're in. And you know, one of the guys said, well, what if we all say no? What are you going to do? And I said, well, we'll take the under-19 team that just finished third in the world, and we'll let them play for the next 12 years together, and they'll put they'll put multiple medals around their necks in their careers. And and um, I think we've got the talent, and it's time for us to get It's time to build it, man. It's time to build it the right way, and um, we're going to stand in there with them. I believe we'll get an uptake of, of guys. I think I think of that 11, I would, I would be surprised if it goes – plus or minus one other uh, each direction, but really? many of the guys got up and spoke passionately about their desire to play and uh, the commitment and getting there early and extra, you know, all those kind of things. So that was a long answer. I'll stop talking now. No, it's it an interesting uh, threat though. I'll take the 19 year olds. Well, if you guys don't want to play. Not a threat. I just, I just, <laughs> I, I mean, know, it's but... not a threat. It's just that we needed to be, have an answer for, sure. you know, that was a great question. 
it was a great question that that they put you know one of them posed is like you know what this was well before this dinner and one of them said well what if what if you know you know coach i'm in but what if what if nobody else wants to be in and i'm saying well then we're gonna have to go with what we think's best to build it and I, and i and i think that that's that these guys are i mean i don't know we built it up i think and we've got them We've got them, you know, we're doing things first class. We've got, we've got a lot of, we've got a great coaching staff. I really believe in the guys running it, you know, all this stuff. I think there's some, there's some, you know, that thing in Victoria too bad. It was COVID time because that was getting ready to be a kind of, you know, knock your socks off event. You know, that thing right. would have been sold out and, and the festival and all the things they were going to do there. So I think there's some really positives and now we just got to get the team on a little bit more of a schedule. Let's put it hey, before we, before we talk about your other team, because uh, I know Bob's chomping at the bit about that. Um, looking at your history, looking at your career, there, there really is a love of international basketball, isn't there? Yeah, hundred percent. It's awesome. It's awesome. And and I, you know, I again, I kind of fell into it to be. I mean, I went over originally as like a twenty-six-year-old just to get a lot of head coaching experience that that I thought I could get in in over there and. And then it's just like, you know, like a lot of things, you move in circles, right? Well, I was in that circle. And if there was a Euro League in Paris, I would fly to, you know, I'd go watch it. Or if there was a summer league in Treviso, Italy, I'd be there coaching it. Or I kind of got in that circle. And and then obviously had the experience with both the English team way back when, and then the Great Britain team going into 2012 as an assistant. Um, yeah, it's, it's such a different and such an interesting and passionate game at that level it's really it's really cool um as john mentioned we do want to speak about uh, your other team but before we do that do you have any trouble compartmentalizing your thought patterns between the raptors and the and now the and international basketball or do you do you kind of put it in a box and you're focused on this and then when that's over you move to that well i don't think so i think i think they're kind of they're probably more intertwined than, than, um, well, I think they're intertwined. I don't know if any, how anybody feels about it, but listen, I, I, again, I came out of that Victoria thing thinking, man, I, I, I tell you what, we got to have this, this, and this in place, um, for this national team. And, uh, kind of toyed, started toying with some different defensive thoughts and that, and, well, I took them to the next Raptor training camp and we tried some of them in summer league and it ends up looking like they're going to, they're going to look really good in, in the Raptors or going to, you know, so it's, you know, I think you're kind of mixing and matching. And I think intertwined is the way it's to me, it's basketball. It, it is very different, very different uh, settings and all that stuff, but there is still a lot of common threads there. Nick nurse is with us. We'll take the break. Come back with more after these messages. Bob McCown, John Shannon with you and the head coach of the Raptors. Nick Nurse is um, along with us. He's the well, only guy that has, he has the only, the only guy that has his own hat though, Bob. I, I mean, I, you don't have your true. own hat. That's not true. There are about six guys in this building that have the Freddie Van Fleet, no, no, Pascal. I'm just on our hat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I, every time I see you with your hat on, I think, man, oh man, to have your own hat. That's cool, man. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. It was a total accident, but thanks. I, I, I kind of <laughs> like it. I, Especially in the summertime, I don't I don't have time to you know get it, get my hair get to my hair very, very often. So there you go, Scotty Barnes, yeah. um, a somewhat surprising first round pick from a lot of people, um, a worthy pick, and you've now had a chance to see him play in uh, in summer league, and he was he's pretty impressive, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I agree with you. 
Um, yeah, let's cover the surprising pick first. I think that, um, you know, first of all, uh, Suggs is really good and look yep. good in summer league. And I think he's going to be a hell of a player um, without doubt. I just, I just think that Scotty for us was a different position, different size. I thought, I thought we liked his length. Um, and, you know, you know, you don't know, he's really young. He just turned 20. Um, and he's, and he's uh, got great energy. He's a willing, he loves playing defense, you know, so that, that's good. You know, he wants to play both ends. And I think that um, uh, you're right. I thought he looked really, really good, really interesting uh, this summer. Well, Nick, in, in, in picking him over Suggs, what would, what would your role have been? How, how, how much input would you have had with Bobby and Messiah and the scouts? Well, the bad news is, is um, I was supposed to be in Tokyo coaching the national team, but the good news was I was, I was down there every day in the, in the workouts in Tampa, getting a look at them. Really interesting process, fantastic uh, job that our front office did. It's really a, it was, it's really a high level thing, watching all that take place leading into that. Um, yeah, so there, and, and, you know, just kind of when you bring them in, they got a, they got kind of a rhythm to the way it goes. Obviously I get a, get a one-on-one -on -one meeting with, with the player and get to go to dinner with them at night and obviously watch them work out and, and watch some film with them, all kinds of stuff and try to get to know them, you know, the best you can and, and figure out who they are in a, in a, you know, one day or day and a half, um, type scenario. You don't have to be specific about this, but I, I think a lot of people are intrigued by the process of sitting in the room and, and the decisions are not necessarily made minutes before you're, you know, the Toronto Raptors are called by the commissioner, you know, you're next on the, you're on the clock. That decision most often I would think is made a long time before, but tell us whatever you will tell us about the, the process of making a decision. I mean, was it yeah. Suggs or Barnes or was it, was it Barnes long before, you even got involved when you were still in Victoria? No, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, I think Bob, you've been, you've been probably around enough drafts and multiple sports to know that your, your team of, of people puts together, you know, their, their, their list, you know, just sure. literally you got to list them and, and, and then it does come down to kind of minutes before, because you really don't know what's going to happen beforehand. Right. I mean, there's always the chance that something happens to change that or somebody you had higher still sitting there or whatever i think that's always kind of the way you gotta you gotta go i mean it did unfold pretty predictably um in one two three and and scotty we had um you know ready to go there as our as our first pick if if uh, those three guys did go in that order but there's still a lot of wondering waiting until until those picks are actually made yeah it's McCowan. It's uh, Shannon on the program for this uh, day. And uh, with us, the uh, head coach of the Carolina Hurricanes, the Jack Adams Award winner, uh, former Stanley Cup champion, Rod Brindamore is uh, with us. Well, first of all, um, quite an, um, an interesting last few days uh, for you, uh, renewing your contract uh, for the next three years with the Hurricanes and uh, the winner of the Jack Adams. Uh, congratulations. Quite, quite an, an accomplishment. Well, it's like I said, uh, you know, when it happened, it, it's a, it, it's an organizational award, right? I mean, <laughs> there's no coach that can take this award and go, oh, hey, look what I've done. I mean, if you don't have the horses, number one, 
you're not winning it. Let's just be fair. And then you got to have good people around you. And that's what I'm, I'm really lucky to have. So it's a good, a good to be recognized, but it's, uh, you know, I think even better for the organization. So Rod, the, uh, the contract uh, was announced on the 17th by coincidence, you wore number 17 for so many years, but truthfully, when was the deal done? <laughs> you know what? No, that's it, a good question. The deal would have been done in about three minutes with Don and I, we, we had it figured out in January, you know, um, you know, I said, okay, here's, you know, here's the numbers. This, uh, he was like, okay, yep, that's probably, that's pretty fair. And, you know, we'll move on. Uh, but I said, it, you know, there were some contingencies, you know, I said, we got to get all these other people around done. And unfortunately we had 10 people in the, in down there, downstairs where work with me that their contracts were up to. And that's what the holdup was. It just takes time to get all those people kind of figured out. And for the most part, we got everybody done. So that's what that's what happened no no I, does that include dean well dean's the one guy that's kind of hanging out there um you know and he, he's he's welcome to come back he's just trying to see if he can you know see what else he can get and and i'm okay with that uh he's got to do what's right for his family first and foremost and um but he knows that he's welcome back so that's kind of a little trial period for him <laughs> I'm not sure if you're aware, but uh, Tom Dundon, the owner of the franchise, was on with us, uh, what, John, a couple weeks ago, three weeks ago, maybe? Maybe uh, six, maybe six weeks. Oh, was it that long? Yeah. And um, we talked to him extensively about, you know, your situation, your contract. And he was um, he was very clear. He didn't. He said he didn't want to own the franchise if uh, Rod Brindamore wasn't the the head coach. So uh, you got you got a, a friend and an ally there for sure. Tom's been great. Listen, he takes a lot of heat, which is, is, I think it's because he's new to it. And, you know, he's not backing down from what he wants to do and how he wants to do things. And, and yet, you know, I don't know an owner that's can't be an owner that, that does more for his team than this guy. As far as he is involved in everything, you know, from you name it, from the smallest thing to the biggest thing from players. Um, and from day one, he said, Hey, look, I'm going to give you a fair fight. And that is we're going to spend the amount of same amount of money everybody else is spending on players, which is something you can't say was done here, you know, for, for many, many years. Trust me, I was a player here. I, I you know, I lined up and looked across the way and be like, this is not a fair fight tonight, but we got to figure out how to win. And he's saying, we're going to take that element out of it. And now you just got to go coach him up. And, you know, I think a uh, lot, lot can be said for that. Well, he's a fan of yours and he's a fan of the game, but he, is he a hands-on owner? You would know better than anybody. Oh, yeah, he's on everything. And that's, <laughs> and, and some people think that's like, oh, that's a bad thing. And I actually think it's the opposite because when we say, hey, you know, this player's got to go <laughs> and he's like, and, okay, you know, he'll, he, and, or we want to get these players. Like we're in the conversation at least with all this stuff. And, um, and he listens, right? Like he has his opinions and he'll throw them at me and Don, and he throws it all the time. Every day he's testing us on things that I don't know that he, believes it he's just throwing it to see if it sticks but you know what if we can tell him it doesn't or show him it does you know he's all about getting better and that's at the end of the day that's all you can ask how would you describe your coaching style uh i don't that's a better question for the guys i probably coached but i think i just try to be myself you know i just try to be honest as i can be i mean there are things you you can't be so honest i've learned <laughs> you know you got to sugarcoat it a little bit but really, at the end of the day, just be yourself. I mean, there's no way I, I could do this job if I was trying to be, you know, someone else or a different coaching style or whatever. You, you, you learn from everyone you're around. You guys know that. And then you just got to go out and trust your instincts. 
so so I ask I ask coaches all this all the time. When you say something behind a bench, is there somebody you hear? Is there somebody in the back of the mind says, "Oh my God, I I sound like Bill Deneen," or I sound like I sound like somebody? Is there somebody that that comes to mind for you? I don't think so. Um, I would hope not. You know, I mean, I hope it would be that's me speaking. But I know there's everything that I'd probably do is come from somewhere, you know, someone, I mean, I got, uh, you know, even this Jack Adams award was great. Uh, Brian Sutter was the guy that right. presented it, you know, and I just think back to him when I was a kid, really, he, he coached me as a kid and the stuff that I, I realized how much I've taken from even that couple of years with him, you know, transform me as a player, but am I still using that as a coach? I probably, you know, and there's, uh, and a lot that I wouldn't be doing, right? Like there's, you know, the times have changed. And so, um, again, you just, you, through all experience, you take the good and the bad. Well, Rod, I was going to ask you sort of the same question John asked, but let me rephrase it a little bit. Um, so you're, you're, you're not a duplication of anybody that um, coached you. You don't think about that. Um, but the best coach and your favorite coach can be two different people. In fact, quite often it is. Who is your favorite? Who is the who yeah. is the guy you were closest to? Well, uh, that's a good question. When I when I played, it wasn't all that long ago, but man, the years go by quick. Yeah, uh, sure. You didn't have relationships with the coaches, you know. Like I, I, the year we won the Stanley Cup in two thousand six, I went into the Peter Laviolette's office twice the whole year and had two conversations with him the whole year. Hmm. I actually, when I took the job as an assistant coach, I didn't even know what the, the coach's offices looked like in the back because I'd never been down there in 10 years that I'd been at that rate because we just didn't, it's not how it worked. And now the, all the players know what everything, like they're down there, they, they, they run the show, right? So it's, it's a total transformation. But the guy I probably enjoyed the most was only for a year. And you mentioned him. I think uh, John was, was Bill Deneen. Mm. Um just, I mean, you couldn't have it any better as a player. I'll just leave it at that. I mean, it was like your dad coaching you. And, you know, we had Kevin Deneen on the team. So his dad was the coach, but he treated <laughs> us all like his kids. And so when it was good, it was good. When it was bad, he get, you know, he was hard on his kids, but in a totally weird, loving way, if that makes any sense. Like it just never felt personal. It was always trying to help you. And that was pretty special. So I, I have been around the NHL longer than you have, I mean, which means now I'm really old. Um, but I used to hear about you, particularly in St. Louis as a player, that you were really hard on yourself. You beat yourself up if you didn't play well. Um, what changed? And do you beat yourself up as a coach? Uh, it's a great question because we got a kid in our lineup now. This is going to be a star, that's Sveshnikov. And he reminds me of myself in the way he handles things that don't go well. You know, he's hard on himself. And I, I see, I, I, so now I'm, I'm sitting in the coach's seat and I'm like, man, I'm, you know, building in now. Cause he would say, kid, you got to relax. And I'd be sitting there go, how do you say relax? But it's true. Now, you know, that I've gone through it. So now I'm trying to think, how do I get this coach talk through to this kid with him not to think it's, you know, what I did back when I was kids. Oh, come on. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Right. Like, because it, it, it's important. I mean, that's just from experience. Right. So it all, I guess you learn from all of it as you're going along. And I already forgot your question. Well, no, just how, how hard you I mean you were so hard on yourself yeah. as a player. Yeah. And my heart as a coach. Yes. And, and, and actually did an interview not too long ago with the great uh, coach from Duke coach K 
and on his show. And I asked him, like, how do you do this? Like, not just, you know, eat yourself up over and over. Like, because when you win, you're supposed to win. So it's like, okay, how are you supposed to be that excited? You were supposed to win that game. And then when you lose, it's like twice as, you know, that was all your fault, right? Like, that's how you feel as a coach. Or, or, and I always say, when I played, you worried about your mistakes after the game. When you're a coach, you worry about the 20 guys' mistakes because they're all yours. So it's, it's not a very fun job when you do it that way. And he was out, he, his great comment was, you can't have a rear view mirror. Like you just, you always gotta be looking ahead. And I joked with him, well, he never loses. So it's, it's a little different, right? When you just can win every yeah. But uh, I think I'm hard on myself, which, you know, you know, I, I think you almost have to be though to keep pushing, moving forward. Well, yeah, you made, you made a valid statement. I mean, when you look at Krzyzewski and his record, um, and okay, granted, it's college basketball. He's a Duke and, you know. Well, you only have I mean, the guys for two years. Rod, Rod could have a guy for 10. Well, I, I acknowledge it's different, John, but I mean, the truth of the matter is that, that if Coach K lost one game in a year, he probably was disappointed. You know, you can't say that in professional sports um, and certainly not in the National Hockey League with 82 game schedule. Um, Rod Brindamore is uh, with us. Um, how do you, do you do you find over the years that you've now done this job? Have the players changed dramatically? Do you talk to them differently today than you did when you first started? Because we hear all the time about the difference between you know, when, when John and I were kids, you know, before you were born and, and how coaches ruled the roost and what the coach said goes, mm -hmm. well, you've gone through kind of an evolution of when you were a kid, the coach was what he said went. Um, but now it's more of a partnership, isn't it? Totally. Totally. And if you don't think it's that way, you're not going to survive. I, I think, I don't know how you can coach the way it was coached back when we did. It won't work because these kids have never seen any of it. You know, they never, they won't even understand what's happening. And, and so you got to adapt with it. I think what's helped me is never stepping away from the game. So even when I stopped playing, I was right into the coaching on the assistant side. So I'm always involved. And then having kids of my own, to be honest with you, at that age, going through it, I, I feel like yeah. I can relate to where they're coming from. Um, and so that's helped. But yeah, you, you, you've got to adapt with the times for sure. And uh, how has it changed? The athletes today are way better. Like they just keep getting better and better. They have, they take care of themselves way better. They've owned skills coaches and diet. Like they're, they have everything figured out, right? They got all these people helping them to be better. That's a makes them better. It also makes them worse too. At sometimes <laughs> they're so reliant on everybody yeah. else to tell them, get that feedback. And sometimes it's not good feedback. Sometimes just shut up and go do your job. You know, like it's all you got to do. Um, but they're always looking for that, the anchor, you know, if that makes any sense, instead of just, let's just focus on you being the best you can be. You don't need to have this validation all over the place. So there is a little bit of where as a coach, I'm trying to instill that. And I know in the background, they've got three guys telling them something else, you know? So there is all that that you have to kind of, I guess, deal with, but the athletes are so much better because they are 24 seven now. How, how, how do you actually, that's a really good point. Cause I've heard other coaches say, uh, you know, players have, he has his own shooting coach, his own stick handling coach. Well, and, and he's telling the, the guy different things than you're supposed to be telling him. How do you manage that? Exactly. Well, they all say that they're not, see, there's the, the key, John. They all go, well, no, 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 no. Their guy's not telling them to do it differently. They're just, I'm like, please, 
just let's cut that out. We know he's, you know, we had, we had a guy and I won't mention his name. He's no longer with us, but he had his own guy that would break down shifts that he would send his shifts to. And then he would tell him, I say, that's what where our job is. I got three assistant coaches that are sitting here willing to work with you, go through your shifts. Oh yeah. But you know, and am I, and then like, where are you going with this? Like, yeah. this is not going to be helpful. Right. But they all got, you have to figure it out. Now we got him out of there because we knew that wasn't going to work, you right. know? Um, but, but this is what is going on today. And I guess you take the good and the bad and the good ones get it. The good ones, I don't think have three people working for them, but they're, they're dialed in. Well, let me get a little more basic than that. Um, when you're a kid, coach says, this is how you do it. And you learn. Um, the older you get, the less instruction you get, I suppose. But not, when you get to the National Hockey League, how much teaching do you actually do? That is an unbelievable, good question. Simple. But if you really break it down, once you're at this level, how much coaching do you need is the one question. And I, as far as to getting from point A to B, am I going to make you a better skater at 19 years old? than you no. are? We can work on it until we're blue in the face. I, and there'll be skate coaches on here that tell you, oh, yeah, I can. Okay, maybe. Maybe a little better. You know, if we put in the time, I'll just tell you, I'll give you the ice time. We'll spend 20 more minutes after practice working on skating. I'll get you to be a better skater. But, you know, it, it's, it's, I don't know how much teaching you can do on your skills and what you already have. You are who you are for the most part. You'll get stronger just naturally if you're 19. By the time you're 22, you're in the gym and that'll help your skating. But to actually improve on it, you know, I don't know how much better you're going to get. Um, so how much teaching goes on? The teaching happens on how to play the game away from the puck. That mm. to me is where all the teaching comes in. We don't teach Andre Sveshkov what to do with the puck. I'll tell you right now, very rarely. I mean, I'll tell him sometimes hang on to it more, you know, but I'm not telling him what to do with it. I'm not telling net cash what, how to, you know, shoot the puck. The guy knows how to shoot the puck. He's better than anyone I've seen. So we're not going to work on that, but I guess what? They need a ton of work on when they don't have the puck. And that's all the kids coming in. They need that more than ever, especially the younger kids that were really elite. Elite players coming out of junior hockey, I find they don't, they play with the puck their whole life. Right. They never, yeah. they never had to play without it. And now they get the NHL and it's 90% of the time they don't have it. That's a problem. So that's where the teaching comes in, I think, at our level. So there you go some of the best of uh, the Bob McCowan podcast from the past 12 months as uh, we take a little vacation here. Much well, to the chagrin of the audience, I'm sure. Well, no, no, not much of a vacation uh, when you think of what's going on in the world, Bob. Still, uh, but you know what? It's a good time to spend your family, good time to uh, have some, some quiet time, enjoy some eggnog and some festive spirit. Uh, happy holidays to y'all from John and I. And uh, we'll see you in the first week of January. Goodbye, everybody.